0: Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all of football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy. easy bake oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. It's game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM
2: ESPN. How about it? Welcome in on a Monday, September 25th, 2023. It's time for the Gabe Coon Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Coon on X at G underscore Kuhn71. Alongside me is the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That'd be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929 Connor, what's the word, brother? How well, are you?
1: I'm, I'm good, man. How are you?
2: Wedding week. I'm doing all right. Wedding week. Uh... You know, how do I explain this? Nerves have set in. Nerves have set in. I'll say that, but it's not about the actual action. It's not the action of getting married. Correct. Like that's not what it is. It's about, okay, I have a bunch of extended family, getting flights, rehearsal dinner, all the plans coming together. Is the band gonna be good? You have those extra bits of anxiety. It has nothing to do with the actual action. Been with been with my fiance long enough where I, it is it is what it is. I'm not actually worried about that part of it, but uh. My gosh, no one no one warned me about that anxiety. It's probably worse than actually being nervous on your wedding day. I was not
1: nervous about the actual marriage portion of it. It's I was so worried about messing up like the steps, the step, like or yeah. missing her finger with the ring or something like that. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Like right. something dumb like that happening. Yeah, well,
2: yeah, and a lot of guests headed headed this way for the wedding this weekend, and catching up with all of them does give give me anxiety too. No offense if you're hearing it out there, but I mean this is this is 300 people. I'm gonna have to do the rounds. That's a lot of rounds. Well, there's move, one right? person who won't be there. Yeah, there is one person, and he happens to be the head coach of the uh, Memphis football team. And uh, Ryan, I, we're gonna talk about it in small talk. And like I've always been taught, you know, I went to the, the J School journalism school at the University of Memphis. Shout out! I was taught, don't make yourself the news. I didn't make myself the news. Let me let me let me put that out there. This was a question I asked in a Monday presser. To Ryan Silverfield. But I was I was brought up. Um, it was my wedding week. He's playing Boise State. And he's obviously, he was invited. Um, but he gave his answer. He gave me a good 90-second clip. We'll talk about it in small talk. He, uh, I mean, it was a little bit of a shot, right? There were some shots fired. A loving, a loving there shot, There were some shots fired, though. Shots fired. Though. Shot. Shots fired. We're going to have to talk about it in small talk, and we'll play that sound as well. But we have three hours to talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. We're going to open... Uh, extensively on college football week four and and what that was. Separation Saturday in a lot of ways, but the Tigers go down in St. Louis. Valiant effort, but they do go down. Uh, We had Colorado versus Oregon. What did I say to everyone going into the weekend? One, their trenches aren't good enough. They gave up way too many sacks against those first three opponents. They gave up seven against Oregon, but I said their trenches aren't good enough, and I said there's no chance that they're going to win this game. But... What was the second part of that, Connor? That's okay. That is fine. They already tripled their win total. They're in a spot where Dion clearly has something going. They're clearly trending in the right direction. They were without Travis Hunter, their best wide receiver, and their best DB. A lot of things were working against them. Now they got hammered 42-6. to six, But I, I don't know if you used your eyes to watch the actual product on the field of Oregon and Colorado. You knew that was coming. There was going to be an end to this train at some point. It just happened to be this weekend. Now, I don't think any of the hype of that – some of the Colorado hype will go down, but not all of it by any stretch. Um, and then also I'll tell you at the end of this, uh, this first segment why I believe in Ohio State. They beat Notre Dame last play. Um, Chip Tranum runs in from about a yard away. I, 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 I was impressed with Ohio State. I was very impressed to do what they did against a team whose offense was top ten in the nation. Heading into that week, on the road, I, Ryan Day. Obviously, there's some sound we're gonna have to play from him, but I I I enjoyed what I saw from that Ohio State team. And also, we'll talk about the damn landing clip before the game, getting his team hyped up. That was that was much talked about, and I don't know if it should be as talked about as it is. I I think there's there's certain things you do to hype up your team that, in the end of the day, you don't need to t- take that much you know, stock in. You don't need to put that much stock into what Dan Lanning had to say pregame to his team to hype them up to play that Colorado bunch. Also, NFL Week 3, we had Madness. We had a team score 70 points, the Miami Dolphins. We had uh, uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, Taylor Swift. You know, Connor, I I think I've, at first, when we talked about this relationship, I was the one who, you know, clearly have, I don't have an original bone in my body, but I said that he needs to be careful about being, Put on the, uh, put on the breakup album, and he sure he he should still be careful about that, but I'm rooting on this relationship now because everyone's seemingly it, it's Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey against the world right now, isn't it? The Swifties seem beside themselves, NFL fans beside themselves. I'm rooting on this thing.
1: It's it's a, it's very odd the way people are reacting to it. I'm happy for him. It, it makes sense, you know. She's you know Taylor Swift is in a stratosphere of her own and celebrity, but. Travis Kelsey seems like a good dude, Super Bowl champion, future Hall of Famer, one of the best tight ends that have ever played the game. And let's get
2: game. this out of the way: T- Taylor Swift is doing nothing to raise her uh, visibility by right. being with Travis Kelsey. Her visibility is pl- Like this, is, she's the catch here. Oh, without she's a the doubt. damn catch here. Without a doubt. Let's not make a mistake. She's a billionaire. She filled out all these NFL stadiums on her Eras tour this this off season. I mean, she is unbelievable. She is. And you know, we could we could have a conversation about it if she knew the camera was on her, picking up all the. The Bud Light cans and everything, but I don't think that's really worthy of conversation. I don't. I don't. Bud think Light? I do care. So, there was like there was. There, <laughs> she cares? she picked up all the trash with the camera. Oh, on it. I, I thought see. It was, I thought it was
1: well done. Taylor, she seems just like a good person. All right, and Travis does too. I'm rooting for him. I don't understand I'm, people I'm, I'm, that are against it. It seems it seems cool. The mom situation is real fun. You know, she's having a blast. Two of her sons are in the NFL. She both are Super Bowl champions. Then she gets to hang out with Taylor Swift. She's Taylor the Swift.
2: Taylor Swift has to be comfortable with Donna, though. By the way, because as soon as Travis scored, she—did you see what she? I mean, you—you you have to do some lip reading. She LFG. gave out. She gave out an LFG. Uh, let's. That's authentic. leaping go. Authentic. Yes, authentic, and she's comfortable around Donna. Of course she is. She's comfortable around Donna. We'll read it all. The Kelsey of that, seem like a great family. Yeah, they do. They do. Um but some of the reactions, just the – it's so – The, the ones about much.
1: Swifties asking about the rules of football have been my favorite because it seems like they're genuinely interested and they're trying to figure it out, but they just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. there, there was a whole discussion about downs, why they get downs. four of them. I saw one. There was, why it, don't they was run to play downs. on fourth and just punt it? Was it? About downs.
2: <laughs> it was about downs, and one of the Swifties asked, does, it have, does the football have to touch the ground exactly. and be down? Yeah. And I'm like, we'll, we'll teach you. We'll we'll, we'll we'll figure this out. We do have two Monday night football games, though, as well. Um, we'll take the trip around the NFL at 5.30. Eagles at Bucks starting at 6.15 while we are still on air, and then Rams at Bengals. I'll give you a pick as we get into the big game tonight in the Rewind. Um, as far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock per normal, Jeff Calkins' show on the Daily Memphian. He's a columnist there. And then 6 o'clock, Harold Grater, the Associate Executive Director of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. We have a bunch to discuss on, on college football um, this past weekend and what it was. it was, it was nonstop action start to finish. It was great. We had the Florida State-Clemson game to start, and then by the end of the night, you know, at Ohio State-Notre Dame, Washington State got over top of Oregon State. And by the way, I, I think I'm starting to uh, – you know, I've been banging the Cam Ward drum, quarterback for Washington State. I think people are coming around now. I saw him in some uh, – he, he's, he's involved in Heisman odds at this point. And a lot of people are starting to put him up in that stratosphere. Top three quarterbacks in, in college football. I was there first, though. I was there first. Now, I won't break my arm trying to pat myself on the back. We also have the Blitz. Um, Usher, pick for the Super Bowl halftime show. Incredible. Incredible. We do need to have a discussion about middle-aged white men. Though. Yes, we do. So, Relax. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> this isn't for y'all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not. It's just not. It's the truth of it. And then also I'll give you my NFL power rankings, my top five as we get into the blitz. Now Tigers go down on the road. They called it a they called it a uh, neutral side game. It was not a neutral side game, but it was at the uh, Edward Jones Dome or Dome at America Center in St. Louis. They lose 34-27. Uh, there's a big play off the top um, that sort of put the Tigers in a weird spot. Uh, a deep ball, Brady Cook of course went in that game despite what I was told going into the weekend. Uh, but I, I think all in all, if I'm going to sort of talk about this game, I'm not into moral victories. I think that that was a beatable team, especially when you talk about Memphis and where this, this program has been in the recent past. This is a championship-level program. It has that pedigree. You can get to the top. You're, you're considered at the top of the group of five. You should be able to win those games on the road. Now, I know Ryan and, and that team, since he took over, are not great in road games. But I think all in all, I was encouraged by what I saw out there. There was a fight till the end. The defense held up until the end, and then Mizzou started running the ball pretty, pretty substantially. Cody Schrader had a big game. their running back. Um, but I, I was encouraged by what I saw from the Tigers and the fight and the resiliency that they showed even in St. Louis. I agree with
1: you. I'm not sure I take a moral victory from it, but no. I think— What you can take from it is, we talked about if you're going to lose, make it a fight and make it close and show something. And I think that the Tigers showed something that they hadn't previously in in the other games, and that is what was the positives I took away. Now, I agree with you. This was a winnable game. Yes. This was a very winnable game. You take care of the football, you might win this game. But Blake Watson looked good again. Rock Taylor looked good. I do think there is a discussion to be had, though, about quarterback play. Yes. I do think that – and taking care of the football. We'll get to that. Um, but overall, I was encouraged while also thinking that they had a shot to win the game.
2: You go down 34-20 at the end of that game. You had three timeouts in your pocket. What did that team do? They went down. Kobe Drake catches a, uh, a touchdown over the middle, um, gave yourself a chance. Now, we, we get into some of uh, some very bizarre situation there on the onside kick. I didn't understand that in the slightest. Uh, I've seen kickers kick without uh, kick an onside kick without a tee all the time because they can get better spin on it. But the SEC officials, which is strange, by the way, to go to a neutral side game with the SEC officials there beyond the point. They stopped the game on the onside kick, allowed Mizzou to sort of regroup, made the Tigers come back out with a tee, had to tee the ball up, then they kick an onside kick. It dribbles right into the hands of a Mizzou player game over. I, 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 that was frustrating I, because I, there has been a report published by Frank Bonner of the Daily Memphian, who we've, who we've had on before, Memphis Tigers football beat reporter for them. Um, the SEC officials made that decision in the moment, but SEC officiating has given the explanation to the University of Memphis, you do not need a tee. SEC officials should know that. There should, be no, there should have been no stoppage to the game, and, and that onside kick should have gone off with no issues. There should be no tee out there. You don't need a tee. I, I am just – it's kind of bizarre that, you know, the best conference theoretically in college football and they're officiating – they had an issue with not having a tee on an onside kick. The when SEC it's clear of, when it's clearly legal to do that.
1: The SEC officiating has been a problem for a few years. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Like it's it's mind boggling how we still have this bad of officiating in college football. It's I, I don't understand it. Every single game there's a call that just makes absolutely no sense.
2: Yeah, I I I'm with you, especially with in you. a
1: moment like that. Like it ultimately may not have mattered, but it could have.
2: Yeah, I mean. I, I don't know the exact percentages on on college football and onside kicks. We know in the NFL it's impossible to go get an onside kick. But in college it's a little bit higher. It sort of it hurt their chances to go potentially steal a possession. Well,
1: giving a team a chance to set up for it certainly helps.
2: The other part of this game that I'm just, you know, you can second guess at least a little bit. I do love aggression, though. And I love that. Yeah, I love a, a coach who wants to take momentum and capitalize on it. There was a fourth and four at the beginning of the fourth quarter where you could have settled for a field goal. Tanner Gillis, after having, you had Seth Morgan and Tristan Vandenberg both down the first two kickers, you had Tanner Gillis going in there to kick as the third-place kicker. He did a good job. He was on the weekly honor roll for the AAC, but you decided to go for it. Seth Hennigan throws a pick on fourth and four. You could have cut the game, I believe, at that point to a, a – you know, more manageable situation. I think 27-23 would have been the score. Mizzou went down uh, after the pick, kicked a field goal. You could have still been within within seven in that in that situation. You can second-guess that. Um, but I think I like aggression in that moment. You're on the on the road playing an SEC opponent. You have to capitalize on each bit of momentum you can get, and getting a touchdown in that moment would have been massive for that team.
1: Yeah, you ha- I mean, one of the criticisms that – we have had and people have had of Silverfield is his aggression levels over the last few years, and it was nice to see that he was like, F it, we're going for it. Yep. We're going for the win. He wasn't going for the conservative play. He was trying to go for a win, and I can respect that.
2: Um, now, a couple of good things. Blake Watson's still electric. He's Dude, electric. So good. Uh, now, the running game was not good. It was tough. I, I don't think that, that, that offensive front was great in particular, in trying to push that SEC front seven off of the ball. Uh, 18 for 47 in the run game, but Blake Watson, nine catches, 83 yards. He had that TD. Uh, They threw it out into the flat. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. They're a third or a fourth down. Bounces off one tackler. Walks into the end zone. That was impressive. as so I thought the O-line did a good job of trying to keep Seth upright for the most part. Pockets got a little collapsed but you expect that against a front like that. Um, Rock Taylor shout out to you Connor. You, you've been calling this. We know that I think Rock Taylor's become a safety blanket yeah, 100%. For, for, for Seth Hinnigan in a big way. He had seven catches, 143 yards, and some of the back shoulder balls you throw to him, he gets his feet down, uh, toe taps, and he has very sure hands. And, and Rock Taylor, he may not be the most explosive athlete, although he did have a tunnel screen that went uh, down and, and they set up a, a, a touchdown scoring drive with. Um, but Rock Taylor is clearly far and away the best weapon they have on the outside. And to do that against a SEC secondary, I was, I was, I mean, I am very thrilled for Rock Taylor. This is a guy who's had to sit there for a few years with other guys in front of him. He finally gets his opportunity. He takes advantage of it in in the biggest of ways under the lights in the dome.
1: Yeah. I was thrilled to see Rock Taylor have a big game. I, for this entire season, I have just seen a, a relationship starting to form between him and Hennigan, and it, like you said, it just feels like he trusts him, and he's kind of a blanket there, and he understands that you know sometimes if if they may not have a perfect throw or a perfect play, if you throw it toward Rock, he can figure something out. Yeah. He does really well with moving when the ball's in the air, yes. and he goes and gets it. He and goes that's and gets what, it, and that's what I like. He doesn't wait on it to come to him; he goes and gets it.
2: The best receivers are guys who can be blanketed by two guys and still have a chance. Still to go comes catch down the with ball. it, and that's why I say he's a safety blanket because Seth knows that there, there's. You know, there's guys in the NFL, too, and I'm not comparing a one-to-one situation. to a Adams and Jamar, Chet, all these guys. But there are times where you try to read out a defense, and your best guy will not be in that particular scheme theoretically open on the pre-snap. You'd have to read it out. But with a guy like Rock Taylor, he's a guy you can stare down, and if he gets one-on-one coverage, take a chance. Give him an opportunity because he takes advantage of his opportunities. So that was cool to see. Now, Seth Hennigan, I am, uh, I, 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 think I'm almost to the point where clearly his freshman year, I think, was his best year on campus. We see flashes. The ball to Joe Skates on fourth and goal to put yourself up 10-7 to seven at the beginning of the game was phenomenal. Uh, some of those uh, throws down the sideline to Rock Taylor were phenomenal. Doesn't have a fastball still, and I don't know if I've seen the growth that I expect from a third-year starter. That 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 I I haven't seen the growth I wanted to see from him. I mean, he's he's a little loose with the football. Um, he's a little you know at times he's a little mum trying to run when he when he escapes a pocket. Just go try to get a first down. Use your legs a tad bit. Um, but even more so than that, I I just don't. See the growth in the pocket throwing the ball that I thought would be there, and it's very frustrating in a lot of ways. He's not taking care of the ball at a high level. He had two picks in that game, including the one on fourth and four. Now granted,
1: he that, almost threw a third, but the guy stepped out of bounds.
2: Now, now granted, that served as a as basically a turnover on downs, if you will, that fourth and fourth sure. throw. But he's got to be better. He's got to be better. If this offense is going to be working at its peak, he's got to be better. And that involves the O-line keeping him upright, the O-line paving the way for Blake Watson and Sutton Smith. But I think he needs to take it upon himself to not put the ball in harm's way. I think that's as simple as I can put it.
1: Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. To me, it feels like he's plateaued a bit like you said yep. his freshman year was definitely his best his sophomore season was a bit up and down but we understood why they yeah. didn't have the skill guys the line was rough but this year when he's got the skill position players and the line's a little bit better it f- it feels like we expected a little bit more than what we've seen the first 4 games and this is the type of game where to be quite honest to beat an SEC team in a neutral site road game he had you can't you can't give the ball up twice you can't give them two three no. possessions because that crushes you and you know, Jeffrey talked about it a little bit on Not on Jeffrey, and I tend to agree with him. It just seems like his decision making is a bit slower than it has been. Like, he, I'm not sure if you've gotten that sense, but it just feels like he's.
2: No, it's, I agree it's wholeheartedly.
1: A, it's a bit robotic in a way. Like he's like, I'm gonna do this read. I'm gonna do that read. That's not there. I'm gonna throw it back to this. Like, if you can see him thinking when he's out there.
2: Yeah, some some balls he makes his decision and it is perfectly placed. Right. And there's good moments like the Joe Skates ball in the end zone or the Rock Taylor. Uh, ball down the sideline like there there are some moments where he makes his decision in that split second delivers a good ball. There's other times where he's just a tad bit late. And he's just thinking. He's analyzing and over analysis is paralysis. We know this in football. You cannot think that much while you're out there. And I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. It looks like there's a lot of thinking going on for Seth Hennigan in those moments.
1: Like weirdly, it felt like the more time the line gave him, the worse throw it was. Like that's yeah. kind of and it was and it was odd, and I'm not sure if it's because his freshman year and his sophomore year he was kind of having to run for his life a little bit because that line wasn't very good. I'm not sure if that's if that's related at all. But it's an issue. It's yeah. it, not maybe not an issue, but it's certainly hindering this offense right now because you do feel like okay, Rock Taylor, Blake Watson, those are two guys that can make things happen when they get the football in their hands. We just got to make sure we're getting it to them over and over again.
2: Yeah, and I need to see Demir Blankum see yeah. wake up. Yeah, I need. I need, you need I one more. more receiver. Well, you need one. Like Rock is a possession guy who's not necessarily run after the catch. You you can throw back shoulders to him. He can he can make a contested catch. He can sometimes beat a beat a defense deep. But a guy like Damir Blancomsey who's got the shiftiness, he's got speed, you've got to get him involved, and, and he's got to get himself involved. He had a lot of t- – he had 11 he targets. Yeah. He had seven catches, He had seven catches, yards. but he's, he, just, he, he wasn't he, – he he's not, not making people miss right there. Yeah, that's, that's what it
1: is. He's not breaking the tackles. Like, he's yes. not making the first guy miss. He's catching it. Great. We, we, we want to see that, you know. But then he's going down immediately, you know. Yep. That's why he only averaged, I think, like five yards
2: a game. Now, I, I'll say this about the Mizzou loss. No harm to me. Um, I think these next two games is where you could do yourself harm. If you lose to a Boise State, if you, if you, uh, you know, lose a Boise State, then lose it to Lane. If you go 0-2 in this stretch coming up these next two weeks, you are in a very, very bad spot where I think the fan base jumps off. Now, next weekend, their two-and-a-half-point favorites against Boise State will be on ESPN2. It'll be at uh, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. I think you need to win one at the very least of the next two, and I think Boise State's the most likely, likely opponent to do that against.
1: I agree. The one thing I take away from the Missouri game is I feel as if Memphis should win the Boise State game. It's at home. You got the weapons. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. It's it's time to show up. This is the game that I feel like the team's been prepping for. Silverfield needs it for, you know, just the season-long thing. It'd be a huge win. It'd be a massive win. I think you almost have to win the Boise State game.
2: Yeah, um, I thought the defense held up against Mizzou, too. I think, yeah, uh, you know, good. for the most part, by the end of the game... You started to see that defensive line, that front seven, get get weared upon by an SEC offensive line. Cody Schrader got whatever he wanted late third uh, going into the fourth quarter, and that was sort of the difference in the game late. They just couldn't get that Mizzou offense off the field because they were running the ball so well. Luther Burden, by the way, absolute man stud. Ten catches, 177 yards, didn't have a TD, but he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. You knew it was going to be trouble trying to deal with a guy like Luther Burden. I didn't think it'd be that much trouble though. I f- I figured you, you'd have a plan, try to bracket him, try to keep the ball out of his hands as much as you could. You couldn't do that with him.
1: No, he he's he looked like an NFL player. He certainly looked like an NFL player, and because he uh, is <laughs> ten, ten receptions, one seventy seven. That's that's man stuff, and he was very difficult to tackle. <laughs> he, yes, he's just he won't go down.
2: Yep. Um. Now also. Um, over the weekend, we had Colorado versus Oregon, and uh, I, do we have do we have the sound pulled up here, Connor, for for Dan Landing before the game. I, I want to play this first. Now Colorado goes down forty-two to six, and it was not not good. Uh, Shador Sanders was sacked seven times. I told you about the trenches before the weekend even hit. I said, okay, Oregon, this game is different. Can they win? No, but that's okay. They've already won three. They're three and zero. Uh, you, you still feel good about what Colorado's building, but they got their absolute ass kicked this weekend. Um, and Dan Lanning before the game, some people saw this as a shot. Some people say this is, you're just trying to get the, the team hyped up. I'll give you my opinion. But here's what Dan Lanning said before the game. Rooted in substance. Not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet,
0: right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for
2: clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass. Right? It's going to be played on the grass. Let's go. All right. So a couple of things in there. Rooted in substance, not flash. And then he says they're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. Quite frankly, I don't disagree with him. I think in a lot of ways what Prime has done is build this program up in a big way. Yeah, he's got the talent he's 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 got the flash he's he knows what to say he's he's always sort of on the right side of history at least through the first 3 weeks but this week you have all this flash you have all this hype up for a game and you realize that Oregon's talent Oregon's team how it's put together in the trenches and then with similar skill players on the outside you realize that Colorado's not close. Colorado's not there. They can't be a premier team in college football at this moment. They can't be a top-ten team. They can't be a college football playoff contender at this moment. They don't have enough. But it's year one for Dion, so there's no big issue. Now, I've, I saw a lot of people, Deion Sanders Jr. came out, and he said, this is the worst we're going to be, so get these licks off while you can, and that's a fair sentiment as well. But I find nothing wrong with what Dan Lanning had to say. If you knew some of the ins and outs of what people say behind closed doors, um, you know, in, in, in pregame meetings, uh, during practice, during meetings, during the week, you would think that this was, this was light work. This was nothing. But I, I think that what Dan Lanning did, he tried to hype up his team. That's how you hype up your team. And he did a good job of it. And and we see it on the back end, forty two to six will tell you he did a good job of prepping his team for, for the week against Colorado.
1: I agree. You know, I I have absolutely no problem with Dion doing his thing, being Coach absolutely Prime. Absolutely not. So I have no problem with, with another coach doing it. It to be quite a, it was he did it with his team in the locker room. He wasn't doing these quotes to media. He wasn't talking about hats and sunglasses. He was talking to his football team and trying to motivate them before what is a big game. It was yep. a big game because it's a top all twenty matchup. All, all week, Oregon had to hear that they were on upset watch. Yes. When in reality, it seems silly. But yes, but they seems the the very silly. They had to hear that over and over and over and over again. So I understand why he used that to motivate the team. I've like some people have said, well, Oregon wears different combinations of uniforms. So if they want clicks, it's that's silly. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's a dumb response to what he said of course that's branding all right like there's nothing wrong with that he's specifically talking about locker room material Dion gave them locker room material so he used it there's nothing wrong with that just like when teams give Dion locker room material there's no problem in him using that
2: yes you made it personal right the whole colorado state thing you made it personal. this
1: one didn't feel personal it felt like listen they've been getting all the talk let's go prove why we should be getting the talk
2: yes and this is a top 10 team in the country Oregon. They're very good. They're very good. They're very good. Bo Nix was phenomenal. in This game 28 for 33, 276, three TDs, one INT. But really what, what it came down to, Oregon's defense was way too much for anything Colorado could handle. They didn't have Travis Hunter out there, their number one receiver in a lot of ways. I thought Xavier Weaver did all he could. I thought Shador Sanders did all he could. But here's the truth of it. It's not just Oregon. Their trenches, their offensive line is not good enough. 22 sacks through four games. And they've won three of them because Shador Sanders is that damn good. And I don't think he did anything like bad no. this weekend. He just could not. He did what he could. He had to run for his life the entire game because Oregon's front was too good. And I, I think this, you know, seven sacks is the most Oregon's had in a long, long time. And this is going to be a reoccurring issue for Colorado as they get into the heart of their Pac-12 schedule. Now, I still think there's plenty out there for them to win. They could get to bowl eligibility. Absolutely. I mean, you have at Arizona State, but they did fight against USC this week in Arizona State. They looked a little feisty. Uh, Drew Pine was finally starting. You have versus Stanford. Then you have Arizona. I think the rest of these games on their schedule are going to be very, very tough for them to win. USC this weekend, obviously at home, so that helps them a tad bit. Travis Hunter wants to go, but Dion says no chance. You have a lacerated liver, brother. We're not going to do that. We're not going to put you in arms way. But even these games, UCLA – Oregon State, Washington State, Utah. It's going to be tough, tough sledding for this Colorado team. But if you if you find a way and you're one under Dion to get to bowl eligibility, that's about as good as you could or should have expected.
1: That's a home run. That's it's a that's, home That is run. That is,
2: that is that is the equivalent of this Colorado team going to a college football playoff. I mean, that is, already that, tripled is the wins. that is unbelievable. That is if they get to bowl eligibility, they get to 6 wins, they have accomplished more in year one than a lot of coaches accomplish in their entire career. I mean, this, this has been impressive as hell from Coach Prime, and I still think they have an opportunity to get to bowl eligibility.
1: It is impressive what Coach Prime has done. Shador Sanders is for real, too. He is extremely talented, and I very much enjoy watching him play. Dylan Edwards, I also think, is very, much, is very fun to watch. That, doc, that guy can run. If, if they lose every single game from here on out, this season is still a success. It is still a success what he has been able but, to do. You want them to be in these games. I still think that they're going to win some of these games. But they've already tripled their win total from last year. He is building a culture. He is establishing what this team for years to come. It's extremely impressive what they've been able to do. I don't think they lost this game because they did anything bad. They just were out talented and out manned. And sometimes yes. that happens in college football. Sometimes the other team is bigger and faster. And that's what happened in this game. It's what happened. Wait, so he's going to go get those guys. He's going to fix it up. And they're going to. This game is not indicative of it not working at Colorado. Of course. This not. was just. Of course Oregon not. is awesome. <laughs> Oregon has awesome. been doing this and for Colorado a while. Colorado has a
2: new team. Yes. Yes, and they don't have a well-balanced team. You could see it from a mile away through those first three games, even though they won them. And to Dan Lanning's point, Colorado is more style than substance right now. That does not mean that the substance can't catch up. I think I would bet on the substance catching up. I would bet that Deion looks at himself in the mirror this offseason and says, yeah, I knew about these skill players. I knew about the skill positions. That was a given. I know who can go. I know who can't. But what I have to do is strengthen my O line, strengthen my D line, and then we can be a very competitive team in in, you know, uh, moving on to the Big Twelve and, and really in the national picture of college football. But he's got to get those things right before you take them seriously as a nine, ten, eleven win type team. Right. But what he's done in year one, nothing. Well, to he's made at. it he's made
1: Boulder attractive to recruits. Yes. That's the biggest thing that he has done. Wins and losses this year are great. They're the cherry on top, though. Dion is establishing a culture he's establishing why people need to come to Colorado and I think he has done that yep. even in a loss people are still like you know what Colorado they're going to be something soon and it's going to be it has the potential to be special it's fun to watch so people want to be a part of that that's what he's doing that's why this year this year is just f- for fun it's it's for it's the cherry on top of everything already getting 3 wins in the fashion that you have beating TCU It's a big deal, and it's going to help your team next year. So I have all the respect in the world for Colorado and what they've done. I'm just not surprised that Oregon went in there and kicked their ass.
2: (laughs) We saw it coming from a mile away. Saw it coming from a mile away, and it might happen next week. If you watch, we we, we have to disengage from me taking shots at prime by what his team is telling me. I'm talking about the football aspect. His team's not ready to be on that stage. His team's not ready to be beating top ten teams on the road in their place. Just not there yet. Can they get there? Absolutely but it's going to take time, right? It's going to take time. It's like any, just like any good program takes its time getting to that, getting to that point. Um, now final game, I want to talk about Notre Dame at home versus Ohio state. Now Ohio state's offense didn't show me a whole lot until the end. I was impressed with Kyle McCord down the stretch of that game on that touchdown drive. Uh, in, in the final seconds, he delivered balls when he needed to deliver balls and he was very, very impressive. Um, But I think more so than anything, the reason I believe in uh, this Ohio State team more than I have in the past, there's been this, I think since 2021, when they started losing to Michigan, you got this thought process behind an Ohio State coach, Ryan, Ryan Day coach team. They're not tough enough. Their defense can't really stick in there against the Michigans and the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. And honestly, until this weekend, I still believe that. I still believe that, but here are the facts. They just held a top-ten offense heading into that week. This is a Notre Dame offense with Sam Hartman, who's the uh, leader in in touchdown passes in the ACC, leader in passing yards in the ACC's history. Um, They had a running back, and Audrick Estime, going into the weekend, was the leader in college football in, in rushing yards. They have a dynamic offense. And what did that Ohio State team do? Over four quarters of football, They held that top 10 offense to 14 points. They won a game with 17 points on the board, on the road, in South Bend. That is impressive as hell. Ryan Day had his team ready to go. This is not the Ohio State team where we're sitting here and saying they need to score 45 points to go win Big Ten games. This is an Ohio State team that can, when they want to, play Big Ten-style football, rough and tumble, and battle it out the entire game, and that defense showed up. Tommy Eichenberg was solid. Uh, The guys up front were solid. Jack Sawyer uh, didn't really get as involved as you wanted him to. JT Tuamalo was great, and they showed that they have a toughness and an edge that they haven't had in quite a while or really ever under Ryan Day, and Ryan Day took that to heart. Now, Uh, uh, I believe it was on the Pat McAfee show. We had Lou Holtz, obviously Notre Dame. We know the Notre Dame affiliation. But he said something about Ryan Day's team and the sentiments about them not being tough enough and why Notre Dame was going to win. And then Ryan Day responded after the game. We're going to play those two sounds right here, back-to-back. He has lost to Alabama, Georgia,
0: Clemson, Michigan twice. And everybody beats him, does so because they're more physical than Ohio State, and I think Notre Dame will take that same approach.
2: Like, I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team,
0: I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio,
2: and it's always been Ohio against the world, and it'll continue to be Ohio against the world, but I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. Now, you can... can Say what you want about Ryan Day. I think there's a lot of people that came out and said, oh, you're going a little too hard. That's a legend of the game. And Lou Holtz, he's just saying what everybody else has said about your team over the years. But what I did appreciate about Ryan Day is Ryan Day has been very stoic on the sideline for just about his entire career. He doesn't really get out of his character. He doesn't raise his voice all that much, especially to the media. Um, He usually tries to stay, you know, hold those things in. But what he showed right there after that game, in that emotional spot, holding a team to 14 points and then beating them at their place when they're a top-10 team as well, he showed what he shows all those kids from Monday through uh, through Saturday, basically. He showed the intensity that he shows those kids every single day, and that is really the first time I've seen Ryan Day do that, and I have no problem with that at all, just like I have no problem with Dan Lanning before the game showing his emotion to his team to get them and will them to victory. I, I thought Ryan Day – uh, a lot of people have had issues with him going after Lou Holtz the way he did, but Lou Holtz said what he said. Ryan Day said what he said. Let it go because Ryan Day proved on the field what Lou Holtz said was completely and utterly wrong. And it was, it was you know, you can throw that take in the garbage at this point um, going forward until Ohio State shows us um, that they are the same old team again, and I don't know if that's going to happen because Jim Knowles, that defensive coordinator who they brought in uh, before last year, has definitely improved that side of the ball and they are tough, they're rugged and they're ready to fight.
1: I can't lie, I had the opinion of Lou Holtz before this game. I had the same opinion. I thought that physicality was something same that Ohio Everyone State couldn't did. handle. Everyone That's why did. you know, I think Lou Holtz was fair to say that, but I also think Ryan Day is very fair to say that after the per- performance they put on against Notre Dame, who is maybe the most physical team in the country. Really, they just I've watched Notre Dame all season. They just beat the hell out of people. They really do. And for Ohio State to go in there and play their game, and beat them at it, it's highly impressive.
2: Very, very. It shows that, and obviously we'll see what the offense ages like Kyle McCord. It's adaptability has that
1: they haven't shown in the but, past.
2: Exactly, and I just, I want to, if that offense can peak like it has in the past with well, Kyle McCord at quarterback and that defense can play like they did week in, week out against Notre Dame, my gosh.
1: Plus, it's a guy standing up for his for his team.
2: Yes. Of course That's he's going to say that. What, else, what are you supposed to say? But, you know, but he was I, right but, until this but game. But for all these reasons, I'm now, I am, I am, where I was a little bit hesitant on this Ohio State team heading into the week, I am all on board with what they have going. That was the best defensive effort I've seen them put out in just about the Ryan Day experience, just about since he took over for Urban Meyer. It was damn impressive. Now, uh, that'll do it for our college football portion of this first hour. we got to go ahead and get to uh, some NFL. We It was wild, week three was. We had a 70-point performance. We have Taylor Swift to talk about. We'll do that next nine FM ESPN